0: We, uh, we keep saying it, but, uh, but really, it is a, it really is. Happy New Year. Like It is the start of the year, and I really do think it is so neat that this is how we, we get to begin. We get to begin, gather together with one another, singing, praying, praising Him for all that He's done. And, but we're going to take a break from Matthew today. Um, We're going to take a break from Matthew next week. And so like, not next week, but the following. And then we'll be back in Matthew. And the heart of today really is, this is the start of a new year. So God put on my heart. Let's go to Psalm 1 and and really walk intentionally through um, those those first couple of verses and then see the promises that come from it. But the next week is, um, we're calling it um, From the Heart of the Elders. And it's just going to be something that, that we're probably doing every year at the start of each new year. And it's just a time for Andy and I to both be up here and sharing, hey, as we've thought about Cross Life and prayed for you and walked along, like these are the passages that God is putting on our heart. And so like I'm going to have about three passages that I'm sharing. He's going to have about three that he's sharing. And we're both limiting ourselves to like five minutes max per passage. That way it's not like, you know, a 55-minute message. It's only like, you know, 30. But you know how that's going to go. So... Because um, we need transition time in there as well. But that's really the thrust of it is just a time for, for both elders. And then in the coming years, as God adds elders, then more elders will be speaking to that over the congregation in, in a loving and sweet way of, hey, like here's, here's a passage I just want us to like think of and think about and dwell on as we go into this new year is, as an encouragement, as a conviction, whatever it is. But that's the, the thrust for next week. And then we're going to be back into Matthew and, and trekking through, um, continuing on there. So, but for today, I want us to be in someone. It is New Year's Day. And I am cynical whenever it comes to New Year's resolutions. Like I just, I am. And I can tell by the smirks all over the room, everybody else is too. And then you always find yourself like in that situation where you're like, so you're going to make a resolution? Oh, you, you do resolutions, huh? I gave those up a long time ago. Oh, no, we didn't. Like, we just, we know ourselves. We know that we're not, like, always going to stick to it. I am one, though, who has, like, historically been cynical about New Year's resolutions. Like, I'm just like, what's the point? Like, we should be in a constant state of progress. Like, I need an August 1st resolution, a September 1st resolution, a September 17th. Right? Like, that's been, like, my how I've operated. But then a few years ago, I really was just kind of, like humbled whenever I thought about. All throughout the Bible, God has given, it's very clear, God has given certain days, certain weeks, certain months, certain festivals, ways for people to remember, to observe, to just pause is what it comes down to, to pause and reflect, pause and praise. Yeah, this is just a day. It really is. It's just a day. Last night was just a night. It was just a a global celebration. The big scheme of things, it's really nothing special On an eternal scale. It's really not. Except that God, who has given us time, allows us to have this one moment every year where one year passes into the other. And we celebrate all these other days birthdays, anniversaries, special remembrances like special, like we have all these moments that are pinpoints in our year. And to me, that's what New Year's Eve really has become. It is the right excuse, if for nothing else. It's a right excuse to have a moment to pause and say, okay, but this is a milestone. This is a point I can look back at or I can begin at. And so it, there is something to that. Now, you can be cynical, and we can be cynical together, but I really did start taking a very intentional approach. And so today I really am reflecting. I didn't go into last night's celebration with like, oh, here's how 2023 is going to go. These are my resolutions. Um, but I did go into it last year that way. Today is kind of more of the outworking of, okay, Lord, like, I do want to have a stronger walk. And I, I, I want to grow closer to you. I want to be a better husband. I want to, like, I'm going to have these resolutions that I'm working through. But I do think that there is something to it. And, and so the question, of do we keep those commitments or not, comes down to this for me. I'm settled on this. If it's important enough, you'll keep it. If it's not important enough to you, you won't keep it. Like, and that's up to you. But to have that moment where we pause and reflect and determine which way will we go, left or right? What will we remedy or what will we repent of? Like, all, I think it's a good time to do that. Why not? Like, it's a brand new year. In the scope of eternity, what was the transition of 22 to 20, 2022 to 2023? Really nothing. But it does give us a day. Where we can intentionally pause and say, "You know what? At least at this point, I'm going to try to do this, or I'm going to try to not to do that." So, not saying it's a um, a religious thing to do. I'm just thinking it's a very practical thing and a practical time to do it. And so, with that, that's why we landed at Psalm one. The heart of the message today is really a moment for us to pause here at the very beginning of the year to pause and consider the importance of God's Word in our lives as we begin to trek into 2023. Like, that's, that's the thrust of it. Okay, so let's read Psalm 1. Here we go. God's Word opened before us, and it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So that's our passage. Y'all join me in prayer. Lord, Your Word open before us, Lord, as your people, by your grace, we are here. Lord, I do not pray for perfect speech at all or perfect eloquence or perfect perfect knowledge or perfect wisdom here. Lord, what I pray is that we trust your spirit that works within us and that we heed what you do within us and are obedient. Lord, I'm fine if I stumble and fumble. Lord, as long as the glory of who you are is known. Lord, we pray this on your son's holy name. Amen. Okay, so let's just look at that. Like, who is this blessed man? I, by the way, this is one of my favorite psalms. And, and you can preach it in in a, one specific way, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, and how there's two divergent paths. There's, there's this path, there's this path, there's no middle path. There's no gray path, there's no gray area. Like, it's very clear that these are distinct paths. And I've preached it that way many times, and that's how I like to study it. And yet, as I was reading Psalm 1, because God led me to it, and it's the beginning of the new year, God brought out new things. And so, here we go. Whenever it says, blessed is the man, that word blessed, and we talked about this with the Sermon on the Mount, and and how it was in Sermon on the Mount, um, that's Makarios, and And happy is not quite sufficient of a word. Well, in the Old Testament, blessed here really is happy. Like, that is that. So you can say happy is the man. So here's the deal. All of our world is searching for happiness. Like, and the entire world, whether they're seeking it through indulgences, seeking it through sin, seeking it through like some religious experience, seeking it through God, everyone is is on a search for happiness. And we have it right here. God's word is going to make very clear how we attain happiness. But happiness here is whenever it says happy as a man or in our con- we say or woman like happy as the person is not the fickle sort of happiness that is swayed by circumstances because circumstances change. This is a very deep, very satisfying happiness that though the ceiling tiles fall, though the school floods, though a pandemic spreads across the world, though families struggle, like whatever it is that comes, there is still some sort of joy and happiness that is resolute within us. It's talking about that kind of happiness. Not that we're always smiling, but that on our soul level, there is an unshakable joy. Happy is the person that we're about to read about. And the whole world is searching for it. And God's word has made it so very clear. John Trapp put it this way, he said, The psalmist saith, my older gentleman here, the psalmist saith more to the point about true happiness in this short psalm, listen to this, than any one of the philosophers or all of them put together. They did but beat the bush. God hath put here the burden to our hand. So all the philosophers, all the world is searching and they're beating at the bush, trying to find what's in there, trying to grab something that's there. And God very clearly says, here is where happiness is found. Watch. So we want to heed this. If if that is what is here, that's what I want. Aren't you tired of sadness and loneliness and searching? We're not immune to it as Christians. We've just probably lost our way, right? We're probably still on the path, but we're in the midst of a fog and we don't know where the path is and that worries us. Another theologian put it this way, just just to clarify, even when the righteous do not feel happy, they are still considered blessed from God's perspective. And that's the perspective that matters, y'all. Even when we don't feel happy, we are still considered blessed from God's perspective. Listen to this. He bestows His gifts on you. Neither negative feelings nor adverse conditions can take away His blessing. That is the happiness. That is the blessedness that's here. That's what you and I need to remember at the beginning of 2023. We are blessed. Uh, so, do you want to be happy? Like That's the big question. Because God's Word has something to say about that. And, so let's look at it. Let's break this one down. This is where we're going to be spending most of our time. It's just really these first two verses. And everything else flows from them. But the big idea is going to be this. The blessed person disassociates from certain people and certain things and associates with certain things. That's going to be the thrust. So here we go. Happy or blessed is the man Listen to this, "...who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night." And if we're not very careful, then we jump all the way to, I just need more of the Word in my life. That's all I need. And we totally bypass the first part. "...for the blessed, for the happy person, O brothers and sisters in Christ, hear me." There is a disassociation from certain things and certain people and an association. There is both going on, a negative and a positive. The one who is blessed, according to Scripture, does not keep company or influence with those who will corrupt him or her, whether by the counsel that they give, which is from a worldly perspective, from the way that they walk, which includes how they speak, how they think, how they act. Y'all, they're comfortable sinning because they're sinners and they do not love God. Sinners will not operate or think in the way that you and I will, and yet we are surrounded by them. Nor are we to associate or we we need to be careful that we don't be corrupted by a level of comfort that they have in their depravity. Scripture is very, very clear. We probably just don't like it. But it says, happy is the person, blessed is the man who walks not in the council of the wicked, nor stands nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I'm gonna address some some of my knee-jerk reactions to that here in a second because I have them. Like I'm like, whoa, okay, okay, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And then God's word brings us back, right? Because he is absolutely a friend of sinners. Please understand also that as we're about to push into this that whenever you read this about the counsel of the wicked or the way of sinners or the seat of scoffers, that I think historically that that most practically applied to people that we would run into. I think now we have to consider um, things like Facebook and social media, podcasts and entertainment, things that come in and influence us. We have to consider these things to the degree that while I'm studying this, God laid on my heart and He goes, Ricky, the news apps that you like are not from a godly perspective. They're written by those who are wicked or sinners or they sit in the seat of scoffers and yet you take them in and they influence you. And I'm sitting there going, crud, that's right. Like it does, it begins to change your perspective. See, I did a good job on my word choice right there. Crud is better. Okay, so just keep that in mind that this is all about the influence that we allow ourselves to be influenced by. Sometimes it's people and that's, probably going to be like the mode in which I talk the most, but it also, you need to consider what we're taking in and where we're spending our time. We may very well in all of these things be seeking fulfillment or wisdom from sources other than God. And it has the appearance of wisdom and yet it's empty. So basically these streams of influence that are coming into us, I really do feel like this is a good time for us to pause. We live in a world full of sound and fury, and it is an echo chamber unto itself. And we need to consider our information, our counsel, our comfort. Blesses a man who is careful of his company. So pay attention to this, because I think this is part of verse 1, that sin will always suck you in. It will suck you in. It will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want it to keep you or than you want to be taken, and it will cost you more than you ever wanted it to cost you. But sin will suck you in, and what Satan cannot get you to commit privately, he will expose you to relationally. There is great wisdom in guarding the company in which we keep. All right, So I think that, that the temptation is probably for us to... Well, it seems like there's a pathway, though. Like I go from, from like the, the counsel of just talking to them to standing with them to... So now I'm I'm sitting, but Ricky, I'm not actually sitting. I'm I'm kind of just more like standing, so I'm just gonna kind of back up and go to council and then I'm gonna move. I think we're missing the point entirely. I don't think it's the pathway. I think it's do not. Like we're worried about where we are in the pathway instead of the corrective of blessed is a man who walks not, nor stands, nor sits. Y'all, blessed is a one who doesn't associate with the wicked, the sinners, or the scoffers. And that's hard for me. Because where is the love? I'm going to get to that. Simply put, God blesses those who do not associate with evil. It's clear. It's very clear. We muddle it. And we must consider the company and the influences that we willingly keep and that we willingly allow. And you need to know this. We cannot be happy when we're comfortable where God tells us to avoid. So we just need to consider these things. I need to consider these things. 1 Corinthians 15, through 34. You can just listen to this if, if you don't want to turn there. But it's 1 Corinthians 15, through 34 says this. Do not be deceived, Paul writes. Bad company ruins good morals. And then in verse 34, he says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and they've fallen for this. They've fallen with keeping bad company. I like actually how the NIV says it because it's just so much clearer. Bad company corrupts good character. It's in the Bible. Who we keep company with can and will corrupt us. It will corrupt good character. Not me, right? I am strong enough to withstand. And yet scripture also says, let the one who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Like it's in our pride that we think we can withstand. We need to very humbly consider what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And then he tells them, wake up from your drunken stupor and do not go on sinning. We just need to consider these things. Now, the advice that I could give you, like, of well, here's how you do this and here's how you balance it out, I don't think is actually what I need to be doing. I think that this is one of these passages where we're going to preach through it and then we're going to trust the Lord and the Spirit to work within each one of you because He calls us each into different contexts and different comfort levels. I cannot give a blanket statement of here's exactly how you're going to work all these things out. That's not always the pastor's role. The pastor's role is to put the Word before you, make it very plain and clear, and then pastor alongside you as a shepherd, making sure you don't walk off the cliff or walk into a hole, and when you do, to bring you back into the flock. But you're going to be thrust in a different context, at different comfort levels, and you and the Spirit of God have to work this out in your own life. But you need to know the Scripture says, do not walk, do not stand, and do not sit with the wicked, with the sinners, with the scoffers. That's what it says. What do you do with it? It's between you and the Lord. What had happened to the Corinthians is they had slidden. They had slidden and they knew it and it was by their association with the wrong company and Paul says, oh, you kept company and you've become corrupt by that and you knew this. You know this. So wake up from your drunken stupor and quit sinning. They have no knowledge of God. I'm saying this to your shame that you live just like them and they have no knowledge of God and yet you're living like them. They've corrupted you. You've fallen back. Like that's all right there. And so in 1 Corinthians, now here's some of my knee-jerk reactions that you may or may not have. But I'm just going to tell you how I process through this one. If I have nothing to do with wicked sinners or scoffers, my first one was, okay, but first Jesus was a friend of sinners. And so he was. He was absolutely a friend of sinners of whom I am the foremost. He ate with them. He dined with them. He walked with them. He went to them. But, y'all, Jesus associated with sinners intentionally so that he might save them. There is a difference in going to sit and going to save. He went to save. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, "...the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance." That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He was fulfilling the mission of salvation and reconciliation for the whole world. Is that what we're doing? Is that what you're doing? If so, okay, only you and the Spirit, only you and God know that. If our mission to go to them is so that they might be saved, fantastic. But Jesus was a friend of sinners. We just need to make sure that we're not simply finding comfort in company. A good litmus test for us is, is there ever really a plan for us to share God's light and God's word in this relationship, or is it just company that we're keeping? If we're we're talking about media influences, by the way, then I would consider Philippians 4.8, which says this. Like, so as I'm thinking about books, as movies, music, all these things, as I'm thinking about them coming in, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. But if it is not then true or honorable or just or pure or lovely or commendable or excellent, and it's not worthy of praise, then don't think about these things. The problem is the diet of the things that we intake. Don't get me wrong, last night, we celebrated New Year's with some friends. Like a quarter of a cheesecake sat on the bar for a while. I felt like it would be rude to leave it since they had it. So rather than just like going to get a plate and get a portion size, I figured I would just clean the dish for them. So I just brought the whole pie plate. I ate it. It was not a healthy intake, though there were cherries and though that's a fruit, okay. But it's not a healthy intake. We do the same thing with our phones, with our media, with the company we keep. We have an unhealthy diet. And we just need to consider that was Jesus, a friend of sinners. Oh, absolutely. He was so that he might save them. That's different than what's being talked about here. My other knee jerk was, but this sounds so incredibly unloving. Right. We are to be Christians. We are to be loving. And absolutely, it may seem unloving. But the first litmus test for us, the first thing that we need to consider is to whom is it unloving to the people or to God? Like, who do we want to please in our love, people or God? I actually am a people person. I like, not people person, sorry, that's not true. I'm a huge introvert. I'm a people pleaser. Like, I don't like people to be upset at me. I like to, to meet them wherever I can. But whenever we say that we are not to associate with them and we're saying, well, that sounds unloving, is it unloving to them or is it unloving to God if we do associate with them? Because we cannot indulge what He has forbidden We've got to consider these things. We love God, y'all, by keeping His commandments. It's all throughout Scripture. And He has clearly told us here not to get advice from the wicked, nor to be comfortable in the presence of sinners, or to keep company with them. This is His wisdom that He gives to His children throughout all ages. John 15, verse 18 through 19, listen to this. It says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. All I want us to consider, whenever we're considering loving and unloving and, and the company we keep is I just want us to be careful that we're not trying to be loved by a world that is set to hate us. And I think that that's probably what begins to happen in our lives. But if we love God, we cling to Him first and foremost. We do what He's called us to do. I am not saying not to associate with the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. God's Word is. How do I work this out in my own life as Ricky Massengill? I'm working on it. I don't have like a blanket statement to give you. Do I really struggle with this? Well, what does that mean in my life? Absolutely I do. So do you. That's why we need one another, though. We need to be able to talk about these things and share the wisdom and also to hold one another accountable. But we probably know that we're indulging way too much whenever we start to catch sin coming up in our thoughts, in our mind, whenever we begin to rationalize our own sin and find comfort in sins that we never used to. Whenever that begins to happen, then we need to be cautious that we're beginning to stand and to sit and to take counsel where we shouldn't. I had another Another knee-jerk, and it kind of goes back to both of those together. And it was this, but we're to go out. We're to go out and make disciples. That is the great commission. Like, if we're not to associate with them, then how can we go out and make disciples? Like, doesn't... No, we are. We are to go out and make disciples. This doesn't go against that at all. You and I, though, will come into the company. We will go into the company of sinners as we go. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples. As we go, we will come into the company of sinners. I don't think that that's what this is all about. We will come into the company of sinners, but here it is. It's not our deepest associations. It's not where we take our greatest comfort in being in the presence of sinners. That's what all of this really kind of culminated to for me is that we are to be on the Great Commission, and the lost are the target of the Great Commission, but they are not the comfort that we seek or the counsel that we find. They are not where we dwell. We must be in line with other Christians. Our deepest associations must be in the company of other Christians because, y'all, I need to be pulled out of the pit sometimes. And sinners can't do that. I need to be encouraged sometimes, and sinners can't do that. I need godly, biblical wisdom, and sinners can't give me that. They will give me world or wisdom according to the world, according to their perspective, according to their way, and to their strength, and it's going to sound so incredibly logical, and yet it will defy everything that is in the Bible. There is a way that seems right to man, and its way leads to death, is what Proverbs teaches us over and over and over again. So to balance all these things, like all of this, I just need you to know that if we are not coming into contact with the loss then we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. So in everything that I'm saying by, by disassociating, that's talking about the habitual company that we keep, where we find our comfort level. But if you and I are not coming into contact with the lost this week or next week or in the months or in the years, then we are actually not fulfilling the Great Commission. You can't fulfill the Great Commission without going to the lost. The point is not total avoidance, y'all, but the regular company and influence that we keep and allow. Does that make sense? I don't like verse one, to be quite honest, like in my flesh. Like my flesh doesn't like that do not associate part because I want to associate. I want to I want to be able to say, like, I love you. And as a Christian, I'm willing to like step into your darkness and love you to this degree. But also we find that we also don't want them to feel convicted by our presence. And so we kind of tone it down a little bit like that's not being a light at all. That's condoning sin. That's letting them be comfortable. So you've got to find that balance. I can't do it for you, and I don't want to do it for you because I'll mess you up. But the spirit within you is the same spirit that moved the psalmist to write these words, is the same spirit that moved Paul to write those words, "A bad company corrupts good character, and he is the same God who hung on the cross for our sins so that we may be his forever and ever and ever. And his wisdom says that blessed and happy is the one who does not associate with the wicked. Good? Okay. Happy 2023, by the way. All right, let's let God do it. Here's just some very practical things that I would consider as I'm working through this myself. How is the company that you keep? Like that's just a very simple question. How is the company you keep, not by your standards, but by God's standards? If you were to ask God, God, show me the company I keep. Does it meet your standards and expectations for me? What would he say? And that is your journey with your God who loves you. Three questions that I had were, does your company need to be reconsidered? Does your media need to be changed? Or does your heart need to be redirected? These are all things that God does. I'm not saying don't go to the lost. I'm saying we better be going to the lost. I'm saying that we don't get our counsel from the lost. We don't model their walk. And we're not comfortable with the sin that they commit. It grieves us. It breaks us. We need to be careful it doesn't corrupt us. Okay, blessed is a person who is associated with the Word. For all the do nots there, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I'm someone who wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning for no good reason. Sometimes 3.30. Sometimes, wonderfully, it's been 6 o'clock here lately. Like, that's sleeping in. That's great. I love it. But I'm not waking up at four o'clock going, for God I so loved the world. Like, I'm not meditating at four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, God, I'm like, you're sovereign. Why can't I sleep? Like, just give me sleep. Like, but, but the one who's happy, the one who dwells in the Lord and is not distracted by all these other associations, his mind does default to the Lord because it's what he's taken in over and over again. The word delight here, A a scholar said it expresses all that makes the godly happy. When you think about God and you begin to get happy, like that's delighting in Him. Here's what I know from life. When you delight in something, you desire it. So if I'm sitting there, I'm like, am I delighting in the Lord? Excuse me, in the Lord and in His word, like, are you desiring it? Because if you desire it, then you delight in it. If you delight in it, then you desire it. I delighted in that cherry cheesecake last night, and I desired it for a long time. In fact, there was also a bag of ruffles over there and I would get up and I would go get them because I desired them. And, and our friends were like, well, why don't you just take the chips to the table with you so you don't have to get up? I said, well, because I get a few steps every time. Get, it stops me from just fully indulging. But when we desire something and we have it, then we delight in it. What's probably true is that we don't desire his word enough. We, though we want to be people of the word, like we would probably find that we're actually scripturally anemic and therefore our joy is fragile. We're not in the word, the word's not filling us, and therefore our joy, our happiness is, is like a roller coaster where it breaks suddenly. I'm guilty of this, y'all. I like don't think that I'm sitting up here saying, Oh, I've got this figured out. Y'all just need to come alongside me. Follow me for a day. Because if you follow me for a day, then you're gonna be like, Where's your joy? Like, do you not remember that verse? You know, remember that remember the other day you said that? Like I said something to Trent one time, he's like well, Ricky, God is either sovereign or He's not. That was preached the other day. I'm like, "Shut up. Okay? So <laughs> I, need, I need these reminders too. I don't have this figured out. This is a journey that we do together as God's people, learning to delight, learning to desire. And I have found that our D-group, um, our specific one, like I have that moment, like where we're just all like in the word together and we're like loving it together, like it's a great encourager for me. But y'all, truth is, our happiness will wane because we do not delight in the Word. If we're not in the Word, there will not be any true sense of happiness or joy. We will feel like we're right down here and what happened to us. So here my advice to you. We live in such a rushed world, brothers and sisters who I love so incredibly dearly, we have to make times for those things which matter. And therefore... We schedule the important things. We prioritize the important things. We do the things that truly matter to us. So what does our schedule reveal? That's that's a convicting thing. If we love the Word, where's it in the schedule? If we love the Word, where's it on our priority list? If we're not careful, unfortunately, our quiet time with God becomes the most negotiable thing in our day, and I'm exactly the same. We're getting short on time, so you know what we cut? Our time in the Word. Our prayer time. The most negotiable part of our, di- of our day is our time with the Lord. And we wonder why our happiness and our joy and our walk is so fragile. John 15. And I know we could all turn there, but there's so much here. I just I'm just asking y'all to jot these down and listen. Jesus says, I am the vine. In John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and they are thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Y'all, what are we called to do? Abide. This is what That's what I think Psalm 1 Verses 1 and 2 come down to where are we abiding? Are we abiding in the counsel of this over here? Are we abiding in His Word? And whenever we abide in His Word and His Word abides in us and we are abiding in Him and by His Spirit the move the men to write these words and that Spirit, like there's this great counsel of godliness that is within us and without us and surrounding us and all of this, we will bear much fruit. We're just not taking the time to abide. But Happy New Year! Like in 2023, like we have this moment to pause and say, Lord, what is the company I'm keeping? Lord, am I actually delighting in your word? Y'all, this person is so, the righteous person is so delighting in God's word. It's where he delights. It's where he dwells. It's where he defaults. Like it's always on his mind. So whenever he wakes up in the middle of the night, I don't know if it means that he's always quoting scripture out there. I think it just means he's consumed with these thoughts of God and all of his goodness. I tend to wake up worried about all the problems that I have. The the decisions I need to make the next day, the decisions I didn't make the day before. Now look at the most joyful Christians. The most joyful Christians. What do they all have in common? All of them throughout my life that I've met. They spend time with the Lord. I don't spend enough time with the Lord if my happiness is doing this right here. You know why? Because I negotiate my time. I was going to do 15 minutes, Lord. Right now I've got like seven, so I'm just going to squeeze it in real quick, as though that token time is enough whenever I have been called to do so much more. I have been called to do so much more. You may not. For some of you, 15 minutes is all you're going to get, and 15 minutes is all you need. And for me, I need so much more. In a season from now, I might need so much less. In another season, I might need more. There's no default perfect way to do a quiet time. I have a recommended time I'll share with you, but I'm just going to summarize it this way. Like, as you sit there today, thinking about New Year's resolutions, Happy New Year, I'm going to be a better me, whatever. Okay, do you want to be a better husband, better wife, better grandparent, better aunt, uncle, better local church member, better missionary, more missionally minded, more like um, focused on the lost, a better Christian? Do you want to serve the Lord better? It all comes down to this. Just get in the Word. No amount of sermon that I preach, that Andy preaches, nothing that we preach here is going to sustain you and and provide for you like God's Word will. You need His Word. We're just trying to make it very plain and trying to equip you and encourage you as we gather together. Probably what's wrong with this is we are scripturally anemic because we're not actually taking in enough nutrient from His Word. But happy is the man who does not associate it with the ungodly influences and associated, associates with the godly words. Chas and I were talking about this the other day because she works full-time. We have three kids. She's an amazing wife. Somehow she seems to, and she's like engaged all the time. And somehow she seems to keep all things going uh, on track. And so we were talking the other day and, and I said, okay, I'm just going to quote you because I think that it's good to have a full-time, Mother of three, fully engaged, supportive wife. Like, and she'll tell you, like she's 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 tired too. <laughs> okay, here's what she says. She says, "I know everyone is busy, and I know my best time to study is in the morning. But if I don't get up in the mo- or if I don't get it in the morning, then I need to get it at night before I go to sleep. Even if I can get only ten minutes before I go to sleep, then that's better than not getting it at all. Like she sees the importance of it." And then she said something that was pretty convicting to me. She says, we can't say that we don't have time. You can check your phone and it will tell you how much time you spend on your phone and on apps. We have the time. So, we have the time. It's just do we have the desire. Is it a priority for us? Y'all, we, we make time for what's important to us. That's just the truth of the matter. If it's important to us, we make time. Do you know why I make Family time a priority because it's important to me. If we love and we delight in his word, then it will be something we strive for. All right, so just very practical. Here's how I would break it down. In case you're sitting there going, okay, New Year's, like how do I actually begin to implement this? Like what's my starter's guide, you know, 7.3, because I've tried this many times before. But also you just want to know. So I'm just very quickly going to walk through this you need to plan for about 15 minutes of quiet time every day. I think that's a great starting point. You may be able to do more. You might not be able to do 15. You might need 10. Like, you pray through that, but if you were to say, what do I need to do, Ricky, to really start being in His Word more, I'd say 15 minutes of quiet time a day. And I don't even like the word quiet time. I heard another pastor call it quality time. I'm like, oh, that's good. Because you can be in a place of quiet and get nothing. But just that intentional quality time. I would say you need to be three components, be intentional, read scripture and praying. So the intentionality, you need to set a plan and you need to try to follow the plan. It may mean that you have to get up a little bit earlier because the rest of your day's, day is absolute chaos. He is worth that time. He will provide for the lack of sleep for you. He is a God who holds everything together and speaks stars into existence. He can fill your weariness if you're getting up to delight in his word. It's a miracle he can do. If you miss your time, try to make it up. But also know this, you have been forgiven of so incredibly much. Don't beat yourself up. We just have to learn how to forgive ourselves and accept His forgiveness. And then, I'm just going to tell you truthfully, I personally plan on a quiet time five of seven days. Day seven is like right here for me. Day six is usually whenever I'm doing sermon prep or I'm finalizing something. But if you shoot for five of the seven days then that's very practical it's getting you a good intake so and then also if you're doing one of those one year bibles then you get to catch up on all the days that you missed throughout the week okay all right reading scripture where do i recommend you start the new testament preferably you can start in genesis and by the time you hit numbers you're done like you get to deuteronomy and you're you get to the goat and its mother's milk you're like what's going on like this is seven days of this i recommend you start in the new testament and preferably with one of the gospels matthew mark luke or john why It's the story of Jesus. It's His story. Start there. I like one chapter a day, but the truth is, sometimes I will only get five verses or 15 verses. It doesn't mean you have to read for 15 minutes. You read until the Spirit says, that's enough. right? You don't have to keep going. Sometimes I've read three chapters, and then the next day I've read like 10 verses. Because whatever the Spirit is doing in that that day... But I also do think, though I struggle with them, one-year Bibles are great. I do think they're a great tool. They frustrate somebody who has OCD so incredibly much, like me, because I get behind on a day, and I can't go to the next day until I get that day. And then I get that day, but now I'm like one and a half behind over here, and then it compounds, and I'm in February, and somehow I'm three months behind on the one-year Bible, and I'm just like, forget it, I'm done. But I do think that they're a great tool. And I think devotionals are okay, but please hear me on this. Problem with most devotionals is that if we're not careful, we're reading other men's words and not scripture. So there's got to be a balance. I actually have been reading A.W. Tozer's devotional alongside my scripture reading. I love streams in the desert alongside my scripture reading. Devotionals are, <clears throat> excuse me, are great in balance. So just kind of consider that. Okay, and then praying. Prayers include God, thank you for your blessings and list them out. Request for people who are sick or who are hurt or who are tired or whatever. Um, asking for help that you can live by the Word that you just read or that you can understand it better. Just go to Him in prayer, but be intentional. Read the Bible and pray. Like that's, That will take 15 minutes right there. You can even set a timer to guard your time so you're not always watching the time. But I would ultimately come back to this. Just trust the Spirit. He will set an alarm within you whenever you have dwelt too long or whenever you have not dwelt enough. Sometimes my quiet time has nothing to do, honestly, with like sitting there and reading so much scripture. It's just, Lord, I just need you right now, and I just sit there and pray. Probably what we need the most is simply this, God, create or recreate in me a desire for your word. Because when I desire it, I delight in it, and whenever I delight in it, I desire more and more. All right. The promises of such commitments. So, Whenever we disassociate from ungodly influences, whenever we associate with His Word, and those are, all are my challenge for this upcoming year on this day, is consider the company and influences we keep and allow, and consider how much we are actually delighting in His Word. Those are two great things to wrestle with here at the beginning of a new year. Now, just some really cool stuff. You ready to walk through? Okay, I could, uh, there's a, I'm going to go quickly. But there's so much good stuff here because these two things sound challenging and I want you to see they're incredibly worth it because the one who does those things in verse one and two, watch this, he is like a tree planted. Planted, not growing wildly, not by natural design, but he's planted. This tree has been placed in this very specific point. Whenever we became the Lord's, He took us from a realm of darkness and he planted us by streams of water. The one who is happy, the one who is disassociating and associating, the one who's doing all those things, you have been planted by streams of water. Like you've been placed there. He transplanted us from our natural soil, which was like bound up in sin, where storms and droughts could destroy us. And he put us in a, he removed us from the kingdom of darkness and he planted us in a kingdom of light very intentionally right here. He knows who you are. He placed you specifically where he wants you. You are like a tree planted when you're doing these things. Listen to what Spurgeon said, because it says by streams. Notice the plurality, the streams of water. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, so that even if one river should fail, he has another. That's wonderful. That if one river dries up, here are other rivers. And he says the rivers of pardon and the rivers of grace and the rivers of promise and the rivers of communion with Christ are never failing sources of water. We are always supplied for. Love that. It yields its fruit in its season. This is who we are. Those who do these things, we are like trees planted by streams of water. We yield our fruit in our season. And you may very well be thinking... I'm not bearing fruit. Like I'm doing, I'm going, I'm striving, and I'm not bearing fruit. And I've been there. Like I've been there and I've been tired, I've been weary, I've been worn out. I'm like, Lord, I'm not bearing anything and I'm I'm just frustrated by it. And here's what the Lord graciously reminded me of. And I've shared this earlier in, in this year or last year, that we bear our fruit in our season and not necessarily in every season. There are seasons whenever the branches, like outside... You look at the tree, there's no fruit on that tree. It's in a season, though, where it's not meant to have fruit on its branches. But there is coming a season whenever it will be in full bloom again. And so will we. But all the seasons are good. All the seasons are necessary. But we will bear fruit in our season, not necessarily every season. And number two, God sees a fruit that we cannot. And you know what? You know why it's good to be in a company of fellow believers? Because other believers see a fruit that you cannot. Y'all, that's why we need to encourage one another. I don't see the fruit that I'm bearing. I don't. Like sometimes y'all will say, thank you for doing this, or I saw this, or I see this in you. And it's such a word of encouragement to me. And you need that too. And it's uncomfortable because it's unnatural in our world to encourage one another. But that's why we need one another. I love this. Its leaf does not wither. The tree that is planted by streams of water who has an abundant source from all these various water sources and that will bear its fruit. That's a promise. You will bear your fruit in your season. You have to endure the other seasons, but you will bear it. Your leaf, y'all, does not wither. You may feel like it does, but your leaf does not wither. We are constantly supplied for, even in the fiercest storms and the harshest droughts. We find amazingly that our leaves, though battered, do not wither. We endure because we are planted by streams of water. Next part says, and all that he does, the one who does those things, in verses 1 and 2, that happy, blessed person, and all that he does, all, he prospers. Now, this is not name it, claim it theology. This is Scripture. The one who delights in the Lord and in His Word who does not associate and find comfort in wickedness. That's the one whom God blesses. And whenever he lives according to what God has designed him for, then in all that he does, he will prosper. That makes probably some of us uncomfortable because it might change our motives, but it's just true the one who disassociates from ungodly influences and delights in his word, that person is like this tree. It is planted, it is supplied for, it is fruitful, it is strong, it is prosperous. And then all of that, the wicked are not so. None of that's true of them. Let me encourage you that that though the wicked seem to prosper, we know, y'all, we know it's momentary, it's temporary, and it will pass. Their end, the wicked's end, is eternal. God, but the Lord is patient towards them, not willing that any should suffer, but that all would reach repentance. Like that's his heart. And praise God that he was patient towards me whenever I was wicked. He's patient towards them, not willing that they should perish, but that they should reach salvation by his kindness, his mercy, his grace. You and I were saved and by his kindness, his mercy and his grace, they may be saved as well. He's giving them time for repentance. So though the wicked seem to prosper, though we don't understand it, we have to trust the patience of the Lord that he is either doing a work of salvation or he's giving them time that their that their judgment is proper but they will not stand in our judgment is what it goes on to say. That's it. Like all of it comes down to this. I want to put it so plainly and I'm trying to be mindful. I know that those are very, very uncomfortable benches. I know, but just hear me like our comfort in all of this is in those final verses. Therefore, our perspective for this new year, y'all, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the, Just put so plainly, like your greatest comfort, I hope, is this. The Lord knows. He knows the wicked. He knows the righteous. He knows your heart's content, and He knows its discontent. He knows who the wicked are. He knows that they will be judged. They're either going to be judged in the future, or they will be found judged in Christ if they repent. But their judgment is coming. And God's Word assures us of this. He knows the righteous and that they will be rewarded. That the tree that we are that is planted by streams of water will bear fruit, y'all, forever and ever and ever. The tree that is by streams of water will be supplied for forever and ever and ever. The tree that has unwithering leaves will never wither forever and ever and ever. This is who we are now and who we will fully become. We are that tree that is planted. The Lord knows. He knows our ways. He knows who you are. He knows what you carry. But what's amazing is we know Him and that He is faithful and true and good forever and ever and ever. So we're going to have just a, that's a lot. and It's all crammed in there. But I trust the Spirit. I love what Tozer says as we get ready to just have a time of reflection. Tozer says, if I want my own way, God will let me go my own way. Many Christians do just that. They insist on their plans and their ambitions and they imperil everything because they lack the wisdom to know how to do it. And if I trust blindly in God's wisdom, He will lead me by a way I know not. He will guide me in paths where I have not been before. He will make darkness light before me and make crooked paths straight. And He will lead me through into His marvelous light. Y'all, in a world full of sound and fury, God's Word tells us very clearly, Here's what a blessed man is. Here's what a happy person is. And we've got to wrestle with those. The reward of such living is in God's hands. Absolutely. But the obedience is ours. What we do with it here now, that's ours. So we're going to have a time of reflection. We are going to observe the Lord's Supper, which I'm so cool how God lines up calendars that this is how we start the new year. And just know that whenever I read someone and I'm wrestling with that disassociation, I don't have it figured out either how to dwell better in Him, I don't have it all figured out either. That's why we walk it shoulder to shoulder, this Christian life. Y'all pray with me. Lord, many words spoken, but Your Word before us. Lord, what I pray is that we trust Your Word and not our emotions, not our logic, not even our experience, but Lord, that we seek Your wisdom, Yours alone. And Lord, for all of the disassociation with the lost that we see here, the wicked, the scoffer, wicked scoffers and sinners, Lord, I pray that in cross life, Lord, you grow such a heart for the lost, such a heart for missions, that we go out from this place, illuminating the darkness so that your glory may be known. Lord, do with us what you will and teach us to be obedient. Amen.